it. Okay, my elf impersonation is not nearly as good as Buddy the Elf, one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. But you could say that about the team we discussed to kick off covering the Commonwealth right now. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. You did it! That's what you could say for men's and women's basketball, but we'll start with the men who captured their first road win of the year, 75-66 Saturday evening down at Georgia Tech. JerryRatcliffe.com founder and contributor Jerry Ratcliffe is with us here in the fast lane. Hootie, a pleasure to be speaking with you. How much of a mental load is that off of the Cavaliers? I think a great deal, Ed, because uh, you know I wrote a column a little over a week ago where the fans thought the sky was falling, and Tony Bennett kept his eye on the big picture, and you know a lot of people had thrown in the towel saying this team won't even make the NIT, and that they're no good, and that they missed on all the recruits, and you know one thing after another. Uh, what a difference a week makes. You know, Virginia is now tied for sixth or a half a game out of fifth, a full game out of second place. And, um, you know, they come back to play NC State Wednesday night and have the nation's longest home winning streak. So uh, I think they want to try to prove a point uh, against the Wolfpack. I can totally respect, and I actually think it's understated, Tony Bennett's theory that a lot of it is just keep doing the right thing even when the results aren't there. I'm paraphrasing what he has said multiple times. However, how much of a surge from Virginia has also been a result of the two new additions to the lineup? One, because of injury, Dante Harris, the guard, and the other because they finally found the role for him in Jordan Minor, a guy who can give them something down low. I think it's changed the team a lot, and you know, we saw some of that from Harris before his ankle injury around Thanksgiving, and we also saw what it did to the team without him in the lineup. And not only does he bring incredible quickness and on-ball defense, but he's a pretty good ball handler. He, he knows how to set up the offense. He takes some of the pressure off Reese Bigman, and you know, even though he's not. His physique is not imposing. He, he's a very tough-minded kid, and he's he's very physical for a guard, particularly a guard of his size, not to mention the experience that he brings. And I think that's something that, that Minor also brings is experience. And it's hard to beat that in college basketball when you have two guys that have been in the middle of the, of the fight before, and, and they don't melt down when things are – I'm not going particularly well. And, you know, a, a huge part of the mover blocker offense is having someone who can set physical, effective screens. And they didn't have that. Uh, you know, uh, Groves is, is a fairly big guy, but he's not very effective in setting screens. And they, they missed that. And that's something that, that Miner brings. And, uh, it, it just took time for him. And I think he labeled his progress brick by brick by brick. But, you know, you got to remember that he played in a zone offense for four years and then all of a sudden switched into an aggressive, complicated man-to-man system 
And it just took a long time for him to get it down and, and to be able to move his feet and slide and, and stay in position. And, you know, he brings some physicality in the middle. I had uh, Damon Stoudemire talked the other day about how physical that Miner and Dunn were inside. And that's, that's just something they, they didn't have until he became more adept at his role. It's encouraging as well for the Virginia Cavalier fans. They can see signs of, I'm going to curse here. I don't have the beat button ready. Hope, the four-letter word, <laughs> um, for them. Speaking of positive signs, just an overview. Virginia women's basketball, they won yesterday at Florida State. It's like every time they play, they're playing a ranked team, and they still haven't figured out a ton about how to big beat those teams. But how big was that for Coach Mox just to get off the schneid in the ACC and a gauntlet that really for them, when you're trying to find your footing as they are, first full year healthy with Coach Mox or second year, they hadn't really been able to find. Now they at least got that. Yeah, I think it did wonders for them, too. Uh, you know, they had been close in a lot of games against ranked teams and just hadn't been able to get over the hump. And uh, beating Florida State on the road, ranked number 15 in the country, uh, it's got to add to their confidence big time. And i tell you, Kamora Johnson, is, is I think she's going to be an All-American by the time she leaves here. She's phenomenal, scored 35 points and – I think she became only the second freshman in program history besides Dawn Staley to do that. Uh, she and the other freshman, Olivia McGee, uh, those are going to be two names that Virginia fans are going to remember for a long, long time before those two are through. Jerry Ratcliffe.com founder and contributor. Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, always great to catch up with you. Thank you much for your time. Virginia fans sure hope there's more positive news when we chat again next week. Absolutely. We'll talk to you then. Here. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokey, hokey, hokey high. David Cunningham of TechSideline.com and less noteworthy, one of Trey Lyle's own classmates. You know, that's not bad either. Just less noteworthy to the public, Trey. Nothing against you, of course. David, a pleasure to be speaking with you in the fast lane for the Virginia Tech men's basketball team. They get a win at NC State. It looks good for the metrics. How important was that for Virginia Tech in the sense that they're in this weird spot? An 11-7 and team that is not even above 500 in the ACC, but yet they're in the tournament discussion just because the computers really seem to love them right now. Hey, Ed, great to be with you as always. I think it's a huge win. Uh, this Virginia Tech team these last two years, at this point in the season through seven ACC games, they had one win two years ago and two wins last year. They're at three wins this year. That's a little bit better. Uh, the, the Getting off to a good start in ACC play is important, but also being able to win on the road is huge. I know that's something that Virginia and Virginia Tech have both struggled with this season. For the Hokies to be able to go on the road and get a Quadrant 1 win, that is huge. And I think it shows where Virginia Tech is Right now, this is a team that has the potential, just kind of has to put the pieces together on a consistent basis. Part of it is turnovers. Um, But the metrics, yes, seem to love Virginia Tech. The Hokies are 52nd in the net. That's pretty darn good for a team that has only won 11 of its 18 games. If Tech can start to string stuff together here, and it's an okay stretch coming up. Boston College on Tuesday night. Uh, Georgia Tech on Saturday, Duke in here on Big Monday, uh, on Monday night next week. 
if Virginia Tech can start to string a couple wins here together and, and back-to-back, maybe three, maybe four, this is a team that will have a lot of momentum, and I think a lot of people will start to pay more attention because up to this point, it's a team that, yes, has a win over Iowa State down in Orlando, but that's the team's best win, and the team hasn't really done anything else to back it up. Yeah, that's the thing for this Virginia Tech team is they need more evidence of what they're doing, particularly in ACC play. Somebody who witnesses that stuff firsthand is David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. Speaking of evidence, how much evidence did Virginia Tech women's basketball did the Lady Hokies show that they can be a dominant team, not forever without Georgia Amor, but that they can have other players step up when Amor is not in the lineup as they did in may not, what may not have been the most prolific 12-point win yesterday against Clemson, but one that did showcase different areas that they could potentially call on when March gets around. Yeah, I think it was huge, Ed. Georgia Amor had started 101 consecutive games for the program. I mean, you could just say the last time she started a game, Trey Lyle was almost in school. Now, that's sarcasm, obviously. Hey, yo. Uh, but uh, but no, Georgia Amor had started, had started or played in every single game since, since she stepped on campus in spring of 2020, pre-COVID. That is, that is how long Georgia Amor has been around and been a constant in this program. Kenny Brooks said she's progressing well in his day-to-day. The Hokies hope to have her back, of course, on Thursday when they play Georgia Tech, if not on Sunday when they go to Syracuse, a top-25 matchup. But to be able to play without Georgia Amor and overcome it, they turned the ball over 20 times. They threw in Carly Wenzel and Samaya Suffer and the two true freshman or the two two freshman point guards, uh, and they played Kayla King, a, a veteran, some there who she was fantastic and will probably go under the radar, but she was crucial to that win, just kind of steadying the ship. To be able to do that, to be able to overcome that adversity, I think is huge going forward. Kenny Brooks told told us yesterday after the game that he told all of his players to be the best version of themselves. And I think Virginia Tech got that in a lot of ways from a lot of different people. Even Liz Kitley, who has been on a on a tear lately. She had a casual 31-8 and eight yesterday, but it was her leadership that impressed Kenny Brooks and how she kept the team together and was kind of an extension of him on the floor. I think Matilda Eck, Olivia Sumiel, some of those other players, including Kayla King, who was great, they came out and they played really good basketball, and they did it without having, you know, without one of their best players. Uh, in course, All American Georgia Amor. I think to be able to do that shows how good this team can be. Even though it made a bunch of mistakes, turned the ball over at times. There's a lot of potential here, and everything runs through Georgia Amor. I think everybody took a step forward in the right direction on Sunday in that Clemson win. Again, like you said, it was not pretty by any means. But to be able to do that, that that gives Kenny Brooks, I think, a lot of positive going forward uh, and a lot of confidence because who knows how long Georgia Amor is going to be out. But I think everybody grew from that experience. And that's important because it's a very young team and these role players are going to be relied on come March. David, last one for you, talking some Virginia Tech football as David Cunningham of TechSideline.com will hopefully pivot with us right now here in the fast lane. Keontae Jenkins, he'll use his final year of eligibility as an outside linebacker. O-lineman Clayton Frady will not, and then Daquan Wright, the one transfer out of this team, goes to Ole Miss. Are you okay with all these decisions, particularly the Daquan Wright one? Because it didn't seem like he was a focal point of this offense, but a guy that had the skill set and uh, goes to a place where they may or may not have plenty of dollar, dollar, 
bills, y'all. Any mortal words of Kenny Powers to shell out? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, no, I... Here, here's the thing. Um, and I think Daquan Wright was in a stacked tight end room. Harrison St. Germain and Benji Gosnell both caught touchdown receptions for Virginia Tech in the bowl game. It was the first time since 2019, I believe, that Virginia Tech had two different tight ends in a, in a game catch a touchdown pass. Virginia Tech is stacked in that room. And I think Daquan Wright was good, yes, but for whatever reasons, Daquan Wright decided to leave. And, and I think if you're the Okies, you know, it wasn't like... It wasn't like he was uh, in a bad in a bad spot, I don't think. But I think things just didn't pan out, and he wanted more playing time, or he wanted more nil money. I mean, in this day and age, ever people transfer for a whole slew of reasons. Uh, Keonta Jenkins, him coming back, I think is big for Virginia Tech. The Okies were not good at linebacker last year, but Jenkins was a constant good. He was on the outside, of course, at star. Um, but to be able to get him back, and um, you know, my colleague Chris Coleman at Tech Sideline thinks. Jenkins should probably shift over to safety because he's got a safety background and it would open up some things for maybe Kelly Lawson at star. And I'm not necessarily opposed to it. But what you do get with Jenkins back is a guy who's experienced and you know exactly what he's going to bring every time he steps on the field. Clayton Freddy didn't play a whole lot. He was a transfer from Gardner-Webb. Not surprised that he's not coming back. I think he's done with football. Um, he didn't play at all this year, really. Significant minutes for Virginia Tech. So, all in all, Okies are down to 89 scholarships, according to our Mr. Own, very own uh, Mr. Andy Bitter. So, Okies have about four scholarships to shave before July, uh, before before summer starts. But I think the Okies are in a pretty good spot. They've ob- there'll obviously be some attrition still, but I, I think – Jenkins coming back is big, and maybe you don't want to lose right, but it's not a room that is really going to maybe feel the hit like others might. We always feel the hit. It's a good kind, of course. Knowledge from David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. David, thank you for your time today in the fast lane. We'll keep it locked to there, as well as the real D A on Twitter and Instagram. Appreciate it, Ed. Talk to you soon. Now to with Alan York, the voice of the Liberty Flames, and a man who has seen this Liberty Flames team behind the scenes look as calm, cool, and collected as ever. Now that bears itself out with two straight wins, both of them at our favorite spot. Yes, Bel Air, as we call the Liberty Arena. Alan, that sound effect is not going away anytime soon, nor for Liberty, they hope, are the wins. How refreshing is it, though? The validation of all the hard work coming to fruition now as they get to 2-3 and three in CUSA. Well, uh, a little precursor to our radio show that gets uh, launched and uh, kind of posted each week. I talked to Coach McKay today uh, about those two wins and some of his staff members. And I think it's a testament, Ed, to just the foundation that Richie has laid down since he returned to the mountain after six years with Tony Bennett at Virginia. And 0-3... I mean, it was desperate times, maybe for the fan base, but like we talked about last week, no panic inside uh, Bel Air uh, or those basketball offices. It's it's just part of the process of uh, going to a new conference, new roster, uh, you know, without some of the the likes of Darius McGee's and, and Blake Preston's, which have moved on. But it's a new group that's still learning to play together, and still, you know, despite five games into league play, they're still learning. Uh, the nuances of each player and the rotations. and But, yeah, feels great to win. Uh, feels great to have the ball go in the net 
uh, which it did not do at a, at, a, at a high clip the first three games. But those first three games, two of them were decided at the buzzer. So team that's not panicking, and uh, but it does feel good to have a couple of wins uh, under the belt. Alan York, LU Flames voice, Twitter and Instagram to keep up with him as Alan is with us in the fast lane. Alan, that game against Sam Houston State, how impressive was it that Liberty dominated the way they did? They led by 20 for much of it, win by 16 on a quick turnaround of 48 hours earlier. Yeah, it's not easy. And the schedule is what it is. Uh, Liberty does not make the conference schedule. And they had to endure through that where Sam Houston had a whole week to prepare uh, for the Flames. And Jacksonville State has a whole week to prepare uh, for Liberty does for Jacksonville State because they don't have a midweek game. And Jacksonville State does. So it all evens out in the long run. But what's more impressive, too, Ed, you look, Liberty led by eight at halftime. I and mean, you were there. Uh, Sam Houston shot 52% in the second half. And Liberty built the lead to 20-plus. So that was remarkable in how they finished that game and beaten the Bearcats on Saturday night. And you'd be remiss. I know it's kind of red meat for the fans, but I'll be the first to admit, it sure looked like that crowd gave them a boost over there as well. Yeah, it certainly does. It was a sellout. They announced that on Saturday morning, uh, 4,000 plus in the building. I think text I got during the game was the top five um, crowd in that arena, which opened up uh, during the COVID year of 2021. Uh, but, yeah, anytime that crowd can get in there and be loud and, and make it hard for the opponent, um, you want that. Um, and our fan base is phenomenal with those, you know, super seats right there on the floor. So the fans get a really good perspective. Uh, and uh, when it's rocking in there, it's, it's one of the best venues in uh, college basketball. It is indeed, as Alan York was there and is there for all the games. Liberty Flames voice and with us in the fast lane. Alan, thank you for your time. We appreciate it as always. All right, thanks, Ed. Talk to you next week. Alan York with us to part one of covering the Commonwealth in the books. Part two comes up next on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.